NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel the gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. The Ashes, it's done. My initial thoughts, not that anyone's asked just yet, is that thank fuck that's over. But we will be wrapping up the Sydney Test match and the Ashes in general. And of course, the, uh, there's some speculation going around that everyone in Australian cricket hates each other. Re Glenn Maxwell, re Matt Renshaw, re Steve Smith. Jackson Bird is on the show and we are really pumped to be talking to someone who's actually played in this Ashes series so um, we'll get his opinion on the MCG pitch more than anything else but of course the Ashes series as a whole and then of course friend of the show Ryan Carter is talking to us about batting for change. My name is Ian Higgins and I am joined by Sam Perry and Dave Edwards and boys the test matches are done. We don't have to put up with any more dull cricket pitches in Australia for a little bit. Fuck me he goes. (laughs) <laughs> Cricket's a funny game, but I have not laughed in weeks. The MCG ruined it for me, and it didn't get much better in Sydney, did it? Although may, uh, maybe marginally better, to be fair, but it was just grim. Mm. Wasn't it the fucking marshes turning up, Smith yeah. runs, Usman finding form, the mm. Poms getting stuck in the heat for 60, 65 days or however long it mm. seemed, Joe Root sick as fuck, sleeping through the ceremony. We said that England were going to get Alfred here, but I don't think any of us could have imagined the extent of that Alfering. It was just diabolical. <laughs> g'day, he goes. G'day, Dave. I'll take a different view. Um, I'm just, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. I've tried to be highbrow about the Ashes um, for a couple of weeks and kind of deride uh, the, you know, the, the terrible Alfering of the Australian side. Um, but one thing I just, like, one thing that's happening over here in London is that nobody wants to talk about the cricket. Nobody is talking. Nobody's talking to me. Um, nobody's really talking in the media. It's done. Everyone's just back on the Premier League. And, and all I think is, like, that is, that's a coping mechanism um, because if this series was close or if England had won or, which is my main point, if England win in 2019, you will not hear the end of it. You will not hear it. Like, honestly, we, we, will, we will be hammered um, yep. verbally, maybe not physically, in 2019, if and when... <laughs> England sneak, you know, a 3-1 or a 3-2 victory. Mm. And so for that reason, I think that Australia's 8-0 win in this Ashes series is something that we should at least observe ritualistically um, with some, you know, with some verbal crowing. I mean, this Mm. was, like, 
an Australian side that like actually found some humility and patience, something they didn't have last year when they got rolled for however many in Hobart. Um, they've also found identity, you know, the alpha ring. They combine those two things better than I've ever seen before. They've evolved as a side. Joe Root, and, you know, respect for his um, dehydration and the actual medical issue he had, the, the English captain was literally asleep um, <laughs> when Australia won. You know, this couldn't have gone better for Australia. We, we have to acknowledge that, don't we? We, abs- like, we can't be ungrateful about it. It, it, it was almost perfect. Oh, I think that's absolutely right, Pez. <laughs> from like a playing perspective, like it couldn't have gone any better. But like I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing this from like a perspective of like someone who enjoys watching, you know, good cricket. Um, so I, and like I just I think about that South African series where it, you know it was going around corners in Adelaide and it was seaming off the deck in Hobart and Australian crickets their their solution to that was well we're never putting any grass on anything ever again. Yeah, and we're just going to make everything flat. <laughs> I don't care if matches go for five days. We're just going to bat. England are going to have Tom Curran and Mason Crane bowling fifty overs each, um, and we're just going to bat. And it's, we're just going to we're just going to you know stick them out, and we win four nil. So like I mean, from a natural cricket perspective, which is what I'm you know basing my hate for this series on, it was absolutely mm. diabolical. But yeah, from result results business, I mean like absolutely perfect. You know, more or less. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I suppose two different things. Like I guess what I. What I worry about is that, like, you know, the um, the affluenza of Australia means that, like, um, you know, things can be so good and, like, our wicket can be so good figure as a figure of speech mm-hmm. that, like, we start, you know, getting ungrateful about the results and we start thinking <laughs> about, you know, the entertainment value of things. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, we win. That's all fine. But I yeah. want it to entertain me as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I promise you, like, if England serve up stereotypical English wickets in 2019, wickets that do not play to our strengths, and they win the Ashes 4-0, uh, I promise you they will not be saying, yeah, but the cricket wasn't great. <laughs> no, the English, they, they, they don't care how they win. Mm. They're all about just outcomes, and you see that in the way they've played all their sports, rugby specifically. You know, it's all about just nudging up the field, three-point penalties, just getting there, winning a game without scoring a fucking try. That's English rugby, and it's English cricket in a way, and it, the result is all that matters. You know, we've never, I don't think there has ever been an English whitewash of Australia 5-0 because they don't need to whitewash us. We need to, we need to whitewash yeah. them. They did that we have 200 this visceral years ago. Feeling, yeah, well, they've already whitewashed half of the world. Yeah. God. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what they did. All right, so it's let's... Um, that's good. Got out of the system. What have, you, what have you guys made about the, um, the, the Sunday of the Sydney Test Match, the day four when it was um, Sydney... Part of, part of Sydney was the hottest place on earth, literally. It was 47 point something degrees. Uh, I think it was Dan Brettig who tweeted during the Sydney Test Match that out in the middle it was like 57 degrees out in the middle or something. I mean, what do you guys think? Like, when is, when is too hot? When do they need to stop playing the cricket? <laughs> When people start passing out and stuff, like I remember the last game I played, actually, Pez, you were involved when we filled in for Gideon Hayes Yarras um, when he extended an invitation for us a couple of years ago. And the umpire um, fainted. He was walking off the oh, yeah. field. Um, he, you know, he was probably in his 60s, uh, to be fair, but he walked off and he just he looked like he was taking a turn for the worse and he kind of started making his way towards the... Well, it wasn't a pavilion because there was no change rooms, just the the... the 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 hill that we're on and he just kind of went in a, a, a kind of a parabola he kind of in, kind of swayed around the place and he, I actually thought that he was going to keel over and die and I think that was the moment I realised cricket you just shouldn't play it in extreme heat um, you know 
a blo- when a bloke looks mm. like he's about to die, and that happened in the test as well, I think that's just evidence that the game shouldn't be played mm. in those conditions because mm. a bloke's about to die. Yeah, I suppose safety is paramount and avoiding death is, is paramount. Um, I remember that game as well, Dave, because we turned up um, as yeah as an invitation from Gideon and both you and I immediately, uh, when this question of heat came into play, having not played the game for five years, you'd imagine that we'd be quite excited to get out there and kind of indulge in an old pastime. But like as soon as there was the option of not playing, that reflex for both of us kicked in. It was like, yeah, no, nah, it's too hot. Like we were probably fine to play, but no, no, I don't want to play. Like just the anxiety lifted. Yeah. Do you reckon they got to call it off? Like who did we call? Like I was wondering what the hotline would be. There's no hotline. You just had to go to the ground. You had to go down Punt Road across from the north side where we lived all the way over to Como Park and um, in 44 degree temperatures. So it's interesting because over the weekend, Melbourne grade cricket, actually all club cricket in Melbourne was called off because it was over 40 degrees. And I believe 40 degrees is the new cutoff for all um, club cricket. It's, it's just, it's, it's too hot if, it's, if the forecast is for then. So like, but for international cricketers, like, I mean, the, the heat obviously contributed to Joe Root obviously being extremely dehydrated, but it was also like he was his affliction. You know, he was, he was otherwise unwell with a virus. Um, uh, the heat, as I say, contributed. But like, so I mean, professionally, right. uh, are we saying that if it's like above forty degrees, they just don't play? Is that is that what we're saying? I don't know. It's not like tennis, is it? Like in tennis, if that happens, they go off. But yeah. in tennis, you can have a reasonable uh, like knowledge. You can have reasonable knowledge about like how much activity each player is going to do. Whereas in cricket, it's a bit different, isn't it? Like you you don't know how long batsmen will be at the mm. crease. You don't know like bowlers can't mm. anticipate how long they'll be able to bowl mm. for. If you if you don't if you can't go on, you can come off. Yeah. Um, you know, fielders are generally pretty passive, so it's just a bit harder to be able to call it out. And unfortunately for Joe Root, he had that perfect storm of, yeah. um, uh, you know, firstly having a psychological trauma of being four nil down, three nil down in the series, soon to be four. Mm. Um, he was sick, and he happened to be out in the field all day. So, um, yeah, that that was. I, I don't know if you have to call the game off on on account of that or sort of abandoned play. I guess in tennis, there's the, you know, you've got the, the, the court surface, which probably attracts more heat or reflects more heat off it than like a grass, mm. a grassy oval like cricket, but the fucking pitch had no grass on it. So it would have been like a road out there, literally. <laughs> so that's probably why I got heat stroke. So Basically playing on bitumen. To that end, I found, the, I found the most fascinating thing about this test match was that Steve Smith didn't score 100. He got 83 in the first innings. I mean, Australia only batted once, but, um, but uh, he didn't score 100. Usman Khawaja, 170. You know, Mitch Marsh scored another 100. Sean Marsh, another 100. So um, this Sydney test match, I mean, did you guys enjoy I mean, I, like our experience, Dave, you and I were lucky enough to go into the press box. Some people uh, have tuned mm. into the podcast um, saying that, we've, that we did that. But, I mean, like my... my thoughts were when we got to the press box that everyone was just knackered everyone was just like over this series I think like as soon as Perth was done like and it was 3-0 and (laughs) then Melbourne happened and there was just a dull test match and then like not even a whitewash could happen I think people got to Sydney it was just like this is just let's just get through the next Uh, five days and let's just go back home like did you get that sense as well Lettos? Yeah for sure mate I mean it was like being on like a 32 day Kentucky tour and you're like getting to like (laughs) days 28, 29 and you've You've done yeah. half of Europe. You've had a thousand circuits. You've drunk every mm. alcoholic drink imaginable, and you're just fucking knackered by the end of it. You don't <laughs> want to do anything. That was the vibe I got in the press box. Just mm. tired, emotional people. They've mm. watched so much cricket, um, mm. you know, over the past few months. Some of them have been in Australia, like Will McPherson, mm. friend of the podcast, has been here since mm. October, just mm. following cricket around. And um, the cricket hasn't been that great. So you could really, not from him, he's a, he's a perennially exuberant character, but the energy of the box in general 
was certainly somewhat down on uh, on last last time we were there, which you know, which was against Pakistan. It wasn't a very exciting series either. But you know, mm. five, is a five test series? Is it is five tests too many? Is that too much test cricket? Well, when it's when it's dull, I mean, keep in mind that all test matches went five days as well. So, like, it's twenty five yeah. days of test cricket, and for the most part, there was no interest in the fourth innings except for Adelaide when um, when a run chase was on. But apart from that, it's it's been a long series. So, I mean, to that end, let's let's wrap up the Ashes as a whole. Um, maybe I'll start with you, Pez. I mean, what, what were your overall impressions of the Ashes this year in Australia? Seventeen, eighteen Ashes. God, it's such a it's such a big question. I, I think that. Um, I think as Australians, we are quite conditioned to expect our team to be very good, you know, to be one of the best teams in the world, if not the best, particularly if you were born in the mid-80s <laughs> um, and, and, you, and your first experiences of the Australian cricket team were, you know, to, were that they were immortals. Mm. Um, we, we go into every series thinking that, um, you know, we have a very good side. But the truth of it was that, uh, you know, England have done better away from home than we've done better away from home. You know, in the last, if, you, if you were born after the 2000s, um, you would have seen England win more Ashes series in Australia. Um, last year, we lost to South Africa at home um, and had a, like a, a batting crisis. Um, we lost to India leading into it. We lost a test match to Bangladesh. Um, so there was every reason to think going into this series that Australia were vulnerable. And, and that narrative kind of still played out throughout the series. You know, a, a lot of the English press was still asking questions of the Australian side and had this sort of overarching feeling that Australia were there for the taking if only England could kind of capitalise. But... I actually think that Australia have um, been underrated for what they achieved this series with all of that context. I mean, they've essentially put together a side that um, has one of the most thorough, like, comprehensive fast bowling units we've ever produced. Um, bowling units, I should say. Um, Nathan Lyon has elevated himself to a world-class finger spinner, probably the best finger spinner Australia's produced. Um, Steve mm-hmm. Smith had... Like, so, so every sort of summer or three, the Australian captain produces a golden summer. Right, you know, Clark did it, Ponting did it, and then this was Smith's. You know, Smith's kind of like, kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the cream on his cake of uh, of batting summers, um, and it was as good a golden summer as I've seen. You know, so so you've got this kind of worldy in your side, and then you've got the other guys around him who like who contributed greatly, you know, and Mitchell Marsh elevated his game. I mean, it, it was just thorough. And then the mm. selectors were perfect, you know, in what they did. Like, everything they did oh, was just fantastic. And they, they annihilated England. Um, so, my, yeah, my, my takeaway from the series is that, like, I think Australia is deserving of a lot of credit. Um, they're probably not getting a lot of it as well because we've gone back into just expecting Australia to be good when actually previous to this they weren't. Hmm. Edo's impressions on the Ashes this year. That, that's a terrific summary by Pez. Um, we were yeah. better than we all expected. I mean, we, we were crowing 5-0, 6-0 before the series started, but just the comprehensiveness of it, you know, just the the sheer dominance, the runs, the, the fact that Steve Smith never looked like getting out and we just kept talking about how he was as good as Bradman and that wasn't even just a, a ridiculous hyperbole. Like, he literally was averaging 150-odd at some point during the Ashes series. Um, and just doesn't ever look like getting out. And when you've got that kind of guy there captaining and, 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 and batting in the top order and just making all the right moves um, and, and a decent team around him, not brilliant, but, um, you know, very good. And the, the bowling, as Pez said, is world-class at the moment. So unpe- mm. impeccable bowling unit, um, you know, a captain at the peak of his powers and some good support around him with the bat. Um, and then we just kind of stop gapping up. We use six and seven. Are we okay there? We brought in Payne. He produced... 
people are talking about him as being a long-term keeping option now. We hadn't even thought about him before the series started in, in, in earnest. Um, but now he's he's certainly there and potentially for the long term. And yeah, as you say, the selectors really did make all the right moves. We laugh about them a lot. Um, it was this time last year or a bit before that the selectors were in free fall and we were having an extraordinary general meeting about the future of the selection team. I think um, they were in they were in a crisis of their own. So they've really pulled out all the, all the moves this this series. And um, this is probably the most earnest. Uh, I've ever been on a podcast and can we get to something a little bit more stupid now <laughs> well, I'm uncomfortable I was just I was just thinking how well you guys have just wrapped up the series so well but I mean, and you've spoken very um, earnestly about how Australia have performed I'm just thinking like just again putting my entertainment cap on because you guys can can um, you know praise Australia all you like but I, I want entertainment because I was you know this is my generation but and I'm thinking like this whole series was down to fucking Ben Stokes like the the second that he wasn't going to come like you, you can imagine you put Ben Stokes in that lineup and that solves so many problems like you, like Perth doesn't happen the batting claps doesn't happen in Perth you know extra bowling in Adelaide runs in Adelaide as well um, the same mm. thing in Brisbane I mean England won four tosses in this Ashes and it, they've lost four nil. Um, mm. You know, they, they threw one of those tosses away by bowling first in Adelaide and Australia got 400. But my, I'm mm. just thinking as well, like, there's not much more that could have gone wrong for England in this series. Obviously, Ben Stokes hasn't before the tour. You've got the Bearstow thing. You've got the Duckett thing as well. Um, but then, of course, they, they pick Jake Ball for the first test match who, who doesn't perform well, takes one wicket. Then they play Overton and all of a sudden he looks like he's the best bowler. Then he cracks his ribs. Um, mm. So, I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable. I mean, oh, Joe Root as well, he scored all those 50s and, and no hundreds. He just couldn't, couldn't convert. So, I mean, there's a lot of things didn't go quite well for England um, so I'm just thinking like if much more could have gone wrong for them but I mean but at the same time like they've actually done well they haven't capitulated they've, they've managed to produce 25 days of test cricket but um, I just blame this whole um, bo- the boringness of this series is for me completely down to Ben Stokes yeah he fucked Pez. up didn't he yeah I, I think um, I think there's no doubt that if Stokes was part of the series that England would have fared better in certain situations because he's a fantastic player. But, like, I wouldn't let them totally off the hook with that um, excuse. Um, I will say, to to be fair to Will McPherson, I was doing a separate podcast with him before the series and he was asked um, how the series will be remembered and he said, I think it will be remembered as a what-if um, which is essentially what you've just said there. Mm. He goes, you know, what if Stokes was there? Mm. Um, I do think that does a little bit of a disservice to all the great things Australia did. And, and a lot of the things you mentioned there around things that went wrong for England were a result of Australia putting pressure on as well. You know, Jake Ball just not being able to do it against those guys. The Joe Root conversion thing is an interesting conversation. Um, you know, 50 and 100, they're kind of arbitrary numbers that cricket imposes, yes. you know, as milestones. I, th- I think the main thing with Root was that as the guy who was there like, you know, LeBron... To, to our curry, you know, for mm. to Steve Smith. Mm-hmm. He, he couldn't... Like, it's about batsmen deciding games with the bat. And so he did get all of these 80s and 50s and 60s and stuff. But mm. batsmen who were the best in the side need to have one or mm. two tests where Clutch. their one innings does it, mm. you know. It doesn't really matter what the score is. It's, it's probably going to be above 100, but there needs to be some gluttonous innings or two to yep. decide a test to make sure that that team doesn't lose he couldn't produce it mm-hmm. um, that's that's down to Australia as well you know he scored 30 points in the game but he didn't take over in the fourth quarter <laughs> wasn't clutch wasn't clutch good point I mean one more thing before we um, get back to some actual comedy but um, just to just to highlight how amazing it was for England to actually win here in 10-11 
Um, so Steve Smith scored 680 runs in this series, 670 runs at about 137 mm. or, so, or something. Just a mm. phenomenal series. Mm, Alistair Cook in 2010-11 scored 760 in the same amount of innings. Mm. Just to go, like, that is mm. just absolutely... like That series he had is absolutely mm. phenomenal, which also highlights that even including that series, he's only averaged about 30 in, in all Ashes series. So mm. that aside, so just, I, mean, mm. I just want to put one, one more thing to you guys. Um, the... A podium that Australia celebrated the Russia's victory on. What the fuck was that? Oh, it was it was disgusting, wasn't it? I think we're going to maybe ask Jackson Bird about this later. He's probably the closest to it um, of all of us. Well, definitely since he's part of the Australian <laughs> cricket team. But it was what is, I mean, really, what, what, are we, what are we trying to achieve there? We have won the, the series convincingly, but it's just a little bit of icing on the cake, isn't it? Like, and who's who's producing that? Who's producing these inflatable hands? Who, who's? Well, what meeting is this? Like, I have so many questions about how this was uh, drummed up as an idea or an ideation, as they talk about in marketing. Like, who came up with this concept and thought it would be a good, prudent move to put on the stage there just at the conclusion of the series? Mm. I, I mean, you, you guys, like, must have been part of the, some kind of press box conversation about this because, like, literally, like, every writer has lost their mind over this um these inflatable hands like uh, from the outside it like it definitely looked um garish and you know totally aligned with uh Australian um you know cultural ideas um i.e. you know not very smart um <laughs> but like it wasn't I, I just think like in in the like realm of all of the garish things Australian cricket does like this isn't particularly bad but is it because it's an Ashes series? No. Like, it is, as Ashes sit above yeah. other series? Like, if this was done in, like, a generic Australia versus, you know, who, yeah. you know, New Zealand at home, and we did that, and you saw the New Zealand flag on the on the clenched fist and, and the Australian two mm. fingers up because it would only be a two-test series. I mean, would that... Would <laughs> there be the same reaction? Probably not. No, there's no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt there wouldn't be. And I think to answer your question, Dave, like my imagination uh, of what would have happened when they were in their ideation phase um, as a marketing team was that whoever is the head of marketing would have stood in front of a whiteboard mm. or had maybe had a prezzy presentation <laughs> yeah, yeah. and there would have been one word in the middle and that was alpha. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe a circle around it because what emanated from there was the, um, was the hashtag beat England. Yeah, yeah, so basically yeah. the dog God, whistle yeah. throughout the whole Ashes series was alpha, 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 yeah. as we said. And then that actually culminated in that four nil hand uh, signal so they were trying to just align their um yeah their, their tactics and their initiatives alpha was the brand essence that that's why pat cummins came on the show and said he, he would he'll bowl around the wicket bouncers all series yeah. and he did yeah. and he was a leading wicket taker and he alpha yep. but uh he lied to us no man cab um so uh, to that end uh speaking of alphas there's been some chat uh just just moving forward towards the one day is that are coming up next um that glenn maxwell is in the side that's a fact that's not just some chat that is a fact he's replacing uh, chris lynn into the side who is injured yet again unfortunately for him but um the chat is that um you know the relationship between steve smith and glenn maxwell isn't good after steve smith said that uh he needs to train smarter this is sort of on the back of like the matt renshaw thing after he was dropped there's some speculation that steve smith picks his mates um do you what have you guys any any interest in the sort of Glenn Maxwell uh, v Steve Smith, uh, you know, anger? Is is there anything to it? Oh, well, you pick your mates, don't you? <laughs> you definitely, if you've got the opportunity to pick your friends in your cricket team, then you're going to do that. I always did that. 
can't add any more. <laughs> that's the thing. That's what Dave always did when you were skipper. And I think that's pretty. Yeah. That's probably it's at the true. bottom of the ladder every year. But playing with your mates, though. Playing with your mates. All right. Well, up next, Ryan Carter's following on that Jackson Bird. Big day? No, big night. I've got to clean up the last two wickets, sing the song, do the covers, sing the song, drink 42 beers in the sheds, have a shower, sing the song, publicly objectify my teammates' ribs, compare sizes, tell everyone how good I was when I was 17, go to a strip club, lie to my wife, then spend all of Sunday being an emotionally absent father and husband. (sighs) Big nights start with grade cricket. Lying to yourself has never been harder. Lads, the uh, the bloke we've got on the line is a guy we caught up with last year, uh, former Sydney Sixers star, New South Wales representative, Victoria representative, and um, you know, to many people's minds, probably the smartest guy in Australian cricket. Um, he's now out of it though, and uh, doing stuff far more important than that. I'm, I'm of course talking about Ryan Carter's. Ryan, welcome back to the Great Cricketer Podcast. Nice to be back with you, Great Cricketer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's even better than talk the, in unison. The, uh, the start you came up with last year when you were talking about a bus driver champing you. So, um, But no surprises there. I, I wanted to ask Ryan uh, to start off. Um, the question that's on everyone's lips is um, um, how good is it to be out of cricket? <laughs> well, a lot of it, some aspects of it are good. Uh, there are some things that I miss. When I look at some of the older commentators, it seems as though the game is dead easy to them and they forget exactly what it's like to actually um, suffer the failures and the slings and arrows of cricket on a daily basis. But it doesn't take long. Now I've been out of the game for a while. I turn on the big bash and think, oh, it can't be that hard. Why don't I just, you know, why didn't I just hit more sixes? Or why wasn't I the next Shane Watson? It's amazing how yeah, quickly what, you forget about, you you forget about dog everything. Day, difficulties and just get rose-tinted glasses on everything, including your own abilities. <laughs> Magenta tinted glasses, mate. You did leave the game at the absolute peak of your powers. Like there must have been mentally wrestling with that. I mean, I know you've got a lot of important things that we'll get to in a moment, but like when you kind of had to go in and talk to the coach and your teammates, how did that kind of play out? And and what was the immediate reaction? Everyone was actually really supportive of my decision. I think it it did come as a surprise to some that I retired from first class cricket at twenty six, but. I also think others um, probably weren't that surprised because they, they knew I had other interests and things I wanted to develop in my career. And But, you know, whether they were surprised or not, everyone was extremely supportive and, um, yeah, th- th- I guess thanked me for, for being a part of their cricketing experience and wished me all the best. So it, it was really touching, actually. I didn't maybe expect that level of support. It, it was really kind. <laughs> Karts, did you just get sick of batting? Like, I'm just trying to think of like, I mean, your last innings was in a was in a first grade grand final here in Sydney, where you faced, I think, I think on my cricket it says you faced 842 balls for 100, and you you saved the game, and Sydney Uni therefore won the grand final. But it's also, of course, like the probably one of the highlights of your career playing for Australia A, opening the batting with um, Aaron Finch, where you basically you you defeated cricket and certainly New Zealand cricket by opening the batting and scoring, putting on 500 with him. And then when New Zealand came out to bat, they said, we don't want to have a bat on this wicket. So, like, what I'm asking is, like, did you just beat cricket? Did you just get sick of batting and then you just stopped? (laughs) Well, the the scary thing is that you're – Comment about 840 balls for a century is only a slight exaggeration of what actually happened. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that worries even me, who's an old-fashioned purist who likes to try and bat for as long as possible. Um, 
No, I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get sick of batting. I, I wish I got was so good that I got sick of batting. <laughs> it was more like when I, the, the few times I actually made a start, I wanted to cap, capitalize as much as possible. Uh, I don't know. I did. Looking back on it, have some. Sorry about that dog barking. Apologise <laughs> 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 to someone else's dog. <laughs> that's that's one you can cut out. <laughs> Sorry to you guys about that dog. Um, I guess I, I did have a have a few really long innings. Um, mm. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a bit of conservatism when I when I finally got through a really difficult period. I wanted to do everything I could to keep batting, uh, knowing that those chances don't come along too often. But uh, yeah, if only I got sick of cricket, and that was the reason because I was too good at batting. Uh, if anything, it was probably the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I recall from actually a previous podcast we did carts that you, you used to you're down now down in Melbourne, but um, you used to live right next to the SCG and you used to ride your bike to training. Um, so I guess that after quitting cricket, did you just sell that property because you got no need for it? <laughs> Are you talking about the house or the bike? <laughs> Both of them just, just got rid of everything. <laughs> We're doing a property. <laughs> can't, get, can't have a conversation without property for Sydney-based nah. people. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I was renting in Paddington, so I'm not there anymore. No need to pay those kind of um, high tariffs when you're not training at the SCG. <laughs> so I'm now down in Melbourne, the... Um, much much more livable and cheaper city. Um, as, as we can see, Ryan, as the audience can hear, you know, you can talk about tariffs and slings and arrows and reflect um, with depth about your time playing cricket, but you, you're now doing something um, inarguably much more important than that. Um, you're um, in charge of Batting for Change, uh, which is a charity you've looked after for a couple of years now. I mean, can you can you remind us about Batting for Change? Um, tell the audience what it's about and um, and what your plans are with it. Um, you know, in in the immediate future. Of course. So, Batting for Change is a charity I founded four years ago now, uh, in the middle of my career, in partnership with the LBW Trust, and they're a Sydney-based charity who support education projects for disadvantaged young women right across the developing cricket playing world. So I'm really proud that across the last four years, we've been able to raise over $800,000, which has allowed us to support close to 2,000 disadvantaged students in India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and Kenya. But what we're doing right now, we've got our major fundraising campaign for this summer. It's culminating in the Batting for Change Cup, which the Sixers and Thunder play off for this Saturday night at the SCG. And we're asking people to go on to battingforchange.com.au make online donations. Our goal is to raise $100,000, which could support 300 more students. But in order to get there, we need another 25 grand in the next two days. So it's going to be a close one and any help would be greatly appreciated. Oh man, that, uh, that elevator pitch is hot. Uh, you, you got you got that down, uh, Carlo. Yeah, and 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 can we? Um, Great cricketers just opening their wallets as we speak. Yeah, exactly, I I am. Um, can, can I ask, Kart? Um, so any um any great cricketers who are on you know a couple of hundred bucks for a Saturday, feel free to get involved. <laughs> how 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 did you come to um uh I I guess want to support this cause or or make this kind of um. Yeah, like, you know, change uh, with, with disadvantaged women uh, in the countries that you mentioned. Well, if you look across the cricket playing world, there's just so much inequality. It's, it's terrifying, really, and completely unfair. Basically, the lottery of who your parents are determines a lot. If you're born in the slums of New Delhi or Mumbai, uh, you'll be lucky if your family has a dollar per day to provide for what you need. And if 
you know, you're lucky enough to be born with an Australian passport. We have so, such great social services, great public education. It's not that there aren't problems to overcome, but the problems are really on a different magnitude. So it was really my travels around the cricket playing world, um, which I was lucky enough to do when I was playing for Victoria and again for New South Wales, that opened my eyes to all this and made me want to try and make a difference and hopefully inspire a few others to join. Yeah, Karts, I mean, I remember when we when we caught up last year, I remember having a fascinating chat with you about politics in the Brexit-Trump era. Are we kind of witnessing, I mean, with many of the projects you're going on, obviously a lot of passion for it, are we, are we witnessing this, the birth of a political career here, the first cricketer-turned-politician since Imran Khan? If so, what's your policy <laughs> on the man-cad? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing I'd do if I became Prime Minister is outlaw the man-cad. Oh. I'd also, um, my, second days. Would be to, my second act would be to make leg buys illegal. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then I might turn attention to, you know, some really important things like social and economic policy and uh, national security. But, you know, after yeah. That. yeah, after yeah. that. But, but on that, first, you know, on a like, serious tone, is that something you're actually kind of looking towards in the future? Uh, no, probably not. I, I mean, I'm very interested in, in politics and I, something I follow. Um, but it looks like a pretty tough game to be involved in. I don't think it's something I personally want to throw my hat in the ring for. I, Maybe I'll support others one day who are having a crack. <laughs> Cuts, batting, I mean, batting for change, you've got to be absolutely stoked with how well it's been supported, not um, necessarily by the Australian public, although that's been huge, but just more specifically within the Big Bash and the Australian cricket community. You've got to be absolutely like almost gobsmacked by how uh, well it's been received and how heavily it's been supported within, within the Australian cricket community. Yeah, I've been really touched by the support of... Australian cricketers, uh, teammates at Sydney Sixers and previously the Sydney Thunder. It, yeah, a lot of guys have done, and girls, Alyssa Healer is one of our ambassadors, so a lot of the mm-hmm. cricket guys and girls have done uh, anything from showing up for one of our events to give a Q&A, and, or Stephen O'Keefe, when he was touring India last year with the Australian Test Team, visited our project in Mumbai and met a lot of the women who a lot of his work as an ambassador had helped to support. So... Uh, it has been really touching about the way the community's rallied behind this cause. and It's been a good lesson that if you want to start something, you go for it, and you can sometimes be amazed by what people will do to help you out. Mm. Um, Karts, and just to like the what's happening right now, you've got, um, I can see... Uh, you've, you've, you've sort of replaced the pledge per six model. So previously it was, uh, you know, every six hit uh, equated to a certain amount of money to batting for change. You've changed that. There's a pre-match party at the SCG taking place in a couple of days as this goes to air. Um, do, do you just want to tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we decided um, to move along from the pledge per six model and actually get people to show up at the stadium and have a big party to celebrate the cause and make a statement that hopefully gets a bit of television coverage that people who love the Big Bash are also caring about this issue of women's education and want to stand up and get noticed. So there'll be 300 people there on the night. Unfortunately, it's sold out now, so no new tickets available. But we'll be all be having a good time on the tennis courts and then in the stands wearing our Batting for Change T-shirts, creating a bit of fanfare. And hopefully lots of people will decide to donate at battingforchange.com.au in support. Fantastic. You know, Karts, I know you've been... Um 
uh, what's the what, what would the word be? You've, you've ducked and weaved the question of whether you'll be a politician, but I'm sure uh, in a couple of days we're going to see you on air speaking in a very statesmanlike manner, as you have here on this show. And it will beg the question from people: Carters for PM? Um, you know, there have been there have been, stra- <laughs> there have been stranger elevations to uh, to positions of leadership in Western nations uh, than that. So we look forward to um, subtly getting behind that campaign. Um, but, but in, you know, uh, more soon than that, battingforchange.com.au, get your wallets out, grade cricketers. Uh, we'll be doing that. Um, and uh, all the best uh, for, uh, for that cause, Cuts, and uh, all the best for your future political career. Great to chat, guys. Thanks a lot. It has been referred to as uh, the, the best uh, sports writing tribute to, to a particular sport since Fever Pitch. Uh, does it do anything to enhance literature? It would be another question. Another <laughs> I wouldn't even call it literature, really. Lads are very excited about this one. We got an Instagram DM an hour ago confirming uh, this guest, um, and it meant we had to bump somebody else, which is just a standard alphaing. Um, but it's good to actually do that yourself sometimes. Um, the, the guy we've got on the line, uh, 278 first-class wickets, best of seven for 45. Of course, we're all numbers here, and we're going to be talking about my cricket later. Um, I- importantly... Um, a guy very much involved in the Australian setup. Uh, he averages just under 30 with the ball. Uh, I'm, of course, talking about Jackson Bird. Um, Jacko, welcome to the Great Cricketer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, we normally start the same way, Jacko, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different this week. It's, it, here goes is going to lead off with the first question. It's a special one. Um, here goes. It's a real, or you really pumped that up unnecessarily. But Jackson, obviously, you recall that um, we played together in the under sixes at uh, at Wakehurst Cricket Club, our very first cricket club. So, I mean, usually, as Sam says, that we do start about grain cricket. But before then, Wakehurst Cricket Club. So you were from, you sort of grew up in the Northern Beaches. Yeah, I did. Um, so I grew up in uh, French's Forest and Forestville. Um, yeah, I played all my junior cricket at um, Wakehurst Redbacks, um, and then. Yeah, played school cricket after that for a really rough play on Saturday. So. But yeah, most of my junior cricket at Wakehurst Redbacks and yeah, Manly Cricket Club. What was the young Ian Higgins like? Do you remember, what were your fond memories <laughs> of him? He goes, was he, <laughs> was he a promising him? young batsman or do you just not remember him at all? No, I can't really remember who I played with. Back, uh, that long ago. Uh, no, he's joking. No, he's, he's, he's joking. Laugh. He's joking. I was tweeting. Even before, that was when that was in like no, nineteen ninety two. Struggled for ten years, I reckon. So. Yeah, I was going to. I was going to ask Jacko. You um, you were just saying you you played your school cricket at Riverview. As well, um, you know, it's a constant subject of conversation here. Um, the kind of division between yeah, did, yeah. Pu- between private school boys and uh, public school boys. I mean, did you find um, you know a lot of barriers there as a private school boy making it all the way to the top of Australian cricket, or is it just you and Ed Cowan? You know, are you, are you outliers or what? Um, oh, I think in, certainly in New South Wales we're outliers. I think uh, traditionally a lot of you know, first-class cricketers and international cricketers haven't gone to private schools. But I think yep. guys from the other states, I think there's a lot more private school um, private school boys. But I think, yeah, you probably get labelled um, as being pretty soft um, mm. by the non-private school boys and the older guys. They think you're all um, silver spoon and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's probably <laughs> yeah. perception of private Accurate. school boys. It's not always the case, but... Mm. Um, well, 
Yeah, but a lot of the times it probably is okay. Well, Jacko, you are yeah, talking to three okay, private school boys, so. Yeah, I think that's probably the only obstacle. Um, you know, you still get the same opportunities as everyone else does, so. So I, I want to know um, the difference between like so your first. What was your first grey game? Was it, I presume it was for Manly. So you mean you, you would play the uh, the very nice GPS grounds here in Sydney uh, from Riverview. What was your first experience of grey cricket? Um, the first experience for grey cricket. I think I was filling in for fifth grade in um, during the Green Shield season. Mm. Um, we played. I think we were playing at the Union of New South Wales ground, uh, the second ground. Um, yeah, not Phillips. much atmosphere. David Phillips. So, um, mm. Yeah, I think that's the one, yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, no wickets in, in that, so um, it was a wasted Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is, is this, if I got this right, uh, Jacko, you were, were you originally at Bankstown and then went to Manly, so essentially we're at the club of the... Um, of the War Brothers, and then um, made a move uh, to the beaches um, for for lifestyle purposes, like everyone. Uh, no, it was, I, so I grew up playing for Manly, and I had probably had three years of grade cricket um, at Manly after I left school, uh, and then I moved to Bankstown. I wasn't really playing that much first grade, and you know, I was sort of going out on the circuit in Manly rather than actually playing cricket. So I just <laughs> down there, and started to escape. So yeah. I. Um, how many how many times would you say you got featured in the Manly Daily um, as a young man? <laughs> oh, a few, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty funny um, newspaper. Um, you know, you get asked a lot of questions and then you read the quotes and you haven't said any of that, so. <laughs> Turned around a fair bit, so. Um, no, so you're obviously a great supporter of Manly Cricket Club and, um, yeah, two of the Manly boys get featured quite regularly. So in terms of your your playing development, it sounds like you've actually sort of developed uh, a little bit later than others. But, I mean, tell us, like, the how hard it was for you to, to leave New South Wales to head down to, to Tassie. Was that a tough decision to make? Um, oh, I wouldn't say it was a tough decision to make. You know, I felt like I wasn't going to get an opportunity in New South Wales. Um, there's a lot of guys that were just sort of starting to debut. Guys like Camo and um, Hazelwood, Stark. You know, Trent Copeland, Doug, we're all taking lots of wickets at that time as well. So, um, yeah, I think when I got offered the contract at Tassie, I didn't think twice. It was a good opportunity. They won the Shield the year before. Um, you know, the wicket was, was really green back then as well. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I always thought it was good enough to play for the wicket. I just lacked the opportunity. And, you know, uh, I was pretty happy to get that with Tasmania. So, it was, in the end, it was a pretty easy decision to make. Mm. And I think it was a justified decision because I believe you took 53 wickets at 16 um, in that first season. Roughly, yeah. Roughly, yeah. And player of the season. Do you miss Cargo Bar? Um, <laughs> no. To be honest, I actually took about four years, though. Um, Did you? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm allowed back in Upstairs or downstairs? <laughs> no, I used to work upstairs. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Is there a downstairs, Dave? 
Han er ikke det var det, nej, det var så dernede. Ja, ja. And so, um, no, no, I don't think it's too much to be honest. <laughs> Jacko, from um, from from your time in Tasmania, where you you just took uh, loads and loads of wickets, you know, through to your elevation into the Australian team. Um, yeah, can you can you just tell, just give us a, a flavour of what it's like to to get that call um, to be picked for Australia and just to generally be involved in the Australian setup? Yeah, well, I got the call from John Inverarity, um, and yeah, I, you know, it was pretty sort of daunting. In the moment, I sort of um, put the phone down and I was kind of like, shit, I might actually have to play here. I just got nervous instantly. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and I got another call not long after that from the bowling coach and he said, oh, I think we're resting Starkey, so, you know, get ready to, you know, prepare to play. So, um, yeah, it was a sort of a, you know, I had a, about an hour to myself in my room and, you know, it was pretty, um, that's a real experience really. So, and uh, yeah, it's always great to be around the Australian team. Um, You know, test cricket's still the pinnacle of, um, of cricket, so um, it's bloody hard work, but um, it's pretty rewarding when, you know, you have success as a team or individually. So, Jacko, let's let's take it all the way up until this Ashes series, um, and you obviously played in the MCG Test match. I think it's been well documented. I think it's uh, it's been accepted across all boards, up all the way up to the ICC, that the pitch was shit, everything about it was shit. Um, what was the chat in the dressing rooms about the state of the wicket? Um, yeah, the wicket was pretty flat. I think it's Shit. the flattest wicket I've ever played cricket on. <laughs> on yeah, any wicket I've ever played on, rather than just in test cricket. You know, the MCG usually yeah. has a bit more bounce than that, and you can still get blokes out if the wicket's not doing as much. But, um, yeah. you know, everyone was on the same page in terms of their thoughts of the wicket. They, yeah, wasn't, um, it wasn't up to standard, and it just wasn't exciting as well. So, yeah. Um, mm. I was having a bit of a laugh. It was a good one to come in for. So. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> know. Yeah. Oh, it was very unforgiving for you, wasn't it? Like, you know, every, every cricket team, I'm sure, like, all the way up to the very top, has someone who whinges about the wicket the most, though. I mean, he, he prepared on the Grey Cricketer podcast to give any insight, you know, as to who, who was blowing up the most in the change rooms about the wicket. Who was just saying, this is fucking shit? Oh, yeah, the three quicks and much two words talking about it pretty often <laughs> but, no, it's just one of those things that's, you've just got to get on with it really so um, yeah you know there's a few remarks here and there saying how flat it was and all that sort of stuff but fair enough I think yeah the, yeah so the MCG um, really yeah, had really has really, copped it so. Though hasn't it? The MCG really has copped it, um, and we probably don't need to um, lay into it anymore from a Sydney-based um, interview. But um, I wanted to ask you, Jacko, you there's so much talk when you play cricket in Australia about how important it is to be able to bowl 140s and how important it is to be hostile and to be able to you know um, intimidate batsmen and stuff like that. You know, as a bowler, very much from the old school, who you know would, would just be so successful in in such a range of wickets around the world. You know, like does it does it frustrate you um, that so much of the thinking here is, is just in, and by here I mean Australia is about just the necessity of being able to just notch it up to 150 k's all the time. Yeah. Oh, look, I, you know, I'd love to be able to bowl, bowl, bowl that fast if I could, but you know, I can't. So I'm not going <laughs> to doing it now. And I, don't, I think historically you don't have to bowl 150 k's an hour to take wickets in Test cricket. So. Um, you know, it'd be nice to have the option of being able to go up a gear and, um, yeah, have the same airspeed as some of the other guys. But, um, 
you know, I just yeah, it's not something I'm ever going to have. So um, you know, there's other other things in my game that I just need to be consistent at, and that's basically just bowling line and length. So like your batting, um, as, yeah, as Rod no, Marsh uh, said. No, I had a few nosebleeds in the test match batting at number nine. I don't think I'll ever be a number nine <laughs> test match. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. But no, I've been feel like I've actually been hitting the ball pretty well. I've uh, got a new stance, like Smithy um, stepping across. Seems to stop my face <laughs> getting blown off. But, um, by the MCG this year, uh, already got me out, Elbin. But um, no, I'm I would have thought you might have been influenced up. by. George Bailey's kind of Ned Flanders reverse stance being down in Tasmania. <laughs> I don't understand how that works. You wouldn't be able to. You have, must have a sore neck every now and again from that. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to ask you, um, I mean, Jimmy Anderson, I think it was before the MCG test match, he sort of questioned about Australia's, um, you know, the depth of the bowling stocks. And then, I mean, I'd imagine that you would have been pretty fired up to, to prove him wrong. And obviously the, the state of the wicket, we've already, we've already talked about that. But I mean, how did Jimmy Anderson's comments make you feel when he said that, you know, aside from the three big quicks, you know, Australia hasn't got much after that? Um, oh, it doesn't really bother me at all, to be honest. He's entitled to his opinion. Um, I'm not really sure how much field cricket that Jimmy watches in on the live stream from um, <laughs> Manchester, but uh, yeah, so I'm not really sure how much uh, you know he's got on our bowlers. Um, but yeah, look, he's entitled to his opinion. So um, you know, I thought when he was coming out to bat, I was thinking, yeah, right, I'm going to. So Jimmy and I tried to bowl him a bouncer and I got just above the knee roll, so <laughs> I couldn't really get that. Showed him. But no, like I said, he's entitled to his opinion and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a shit opinion, though. Yeah, it's a shit opinion. Um and a disrespectful <laughs> one. But um but that, we'll say that. Uh J- Jacko, um you know, it, it was a hard fought series, uh, you know, in, in terms of the personal battles that were taking place and um you know, I guess it's fair to say it was Australia steamrolled England. I mean, can you can you give us an insight into sort of relations between the teams after the series? I mean, you know, was was there a beer or would would there have been a beer? Um, you know, was there, is there a circuit? Um, do you wait until the end of the one day series to do all that sort of stuff? I mean, like, you know, what what is the relationship between the teams off the field? Yeah, I think the relationship's fine off the field. Um, yeah, the English guys came into the change rooms, um, I think, and had a beer, had a few beers after the um, last day. I was actually down in Hobart mm. for Big Bear, so I didn't get to um, celebrate. But, um, yeah, I think the relationship between the players is fine. Um, and, you know, the boys had a pretty big circuit on Monday night, and then we had a few beers yesterday as well. So um, it's been a good couple of days. And then now the boys will all just go into ODI mode now and um, get ready for their first game on Sunday, I think. So... Do you guys uh, often like? Sorry, mate. Do you, do you guys often laugh about the way that the media writes up these kind of interactions between the two teams, both on and off the field? I mean, you, you, it sounds like there is uh, some mutual respect on both sides. I mean, do, do you guys kind of get together and go, "What's going on with the media?" Yeah, it's pretty funny reading some of the media stories. To be honest, like you know, yeah. sometimes you read them and just think, "Shit, how did this person actually think this is true?" You know, so that's sort of fun. <laughs> yeah. Manly daily. Pretty funny, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, we don't really take too much notice of what the media says. Um, I think a few boys are pretty um, big readers of the, of the papers and stuff like that. But um, I know a lot of the guys don't don't even bother anymore. So um, 
media. Just Why do you even bother? Just jump straight into the great cricketer Twitter feed, obviously. Um, Bertie, you've now played um, you've now played Ashes um, Test matches both here and abroad. Um, I want to know the difference between you know sort of fielding in front of the Barmy Army or as opposed to. Uh, um, you know, fielding in England, like is it is a little bit more hostile almost fielding in front of the Barmy Army here, or is it? Um, do you sort of cop a bit more flak fielding on the boundary in England? Um, no, well, that was pretty. Um, it was a pretty long hour for me fielding in front of the Barmy Army the other day. I think there was ten thousand blokes all singing that I was shit. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think in, in England you get sledged a little bit, but their sledges are usually quite witty and quite funny. Whereas in Australia. When you get switched, they, it's pretty, you know, they abuse you. So um, <laughs> that's more of the Australian thing. I'm the domestic circuit during the big back and stuff like that. So I think, um, yeah, the English fans definitely um, are more witty and their sledges are actually pretty funny. Whereas some of the Australian sledges, are, not much thought goes into it. They just <laughs> try and abuse you <laughs> as much as they can. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 Jacko, it's, it's that time. Um, it, it's throwdowns time. And um, I actually, I, I kind of hesitate to call it that because, you know, given your, um, your sort of rank as the, the guy that's tended to be helping out the Australian side in the last little while, I'm sure you've given your fair share of throwdowns. So it's your time to um, actually receive a few. Um, we'll ask you the question. Hopefully the joke's wrapped in the question. And uh, if it's not funny, we'll, we'll pretty much find out fairly soon uh, with the silence. Um, or I'll just delete it so no one will know it ever happened. Um, no worries. So, I'll, look, I'll kick it off, Jacko. Um, we did <laughs> we did um, cover a fair few of mine, so I've not got many. But um, when when Rod Marsh did famously say that um, you'd missed out on the side because of your batting, I, I thought that was kind of the breakup equivalent of it's not you, it's me. Um, were, were you tempted to show him your my cricket stats, which I've looked up, which reveal your highest score is 39, and also tell him you're capable of making 40-odd? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I, I had to ask him to repeat what he said to me when he told me that. Um, and then it was kind of funny. I, it was before a day-night test, so I had to go and get in the car with Danny's son, and who was a coach of Tassie at the time, and said, oh, I'm not in the test side because of uh, my batting. Mm. I said, your dad's lost it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, All right, I'll have yeah. to give him a ring to clarify. Yeah. Okay. I just think good communication. Yeah. There was a bit of a breakdown in the communication. So, Yeah, um, comms, comms error there. Uh, Jacko, yeah. one from me. You've got a Bachelor of Business specialising in marketing. I'm just wondering what your take is on Cricket Australia's giant pair of inflatable hands, which they <laughs> unveiled at the post-series ceremony. Yeah. Is this shrewd marketing <laughs> strategy or idiotic fuck-up? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I actually, I'm not sure where that's come from because I actually don't, don't have a bachelor in um, <laughs> business. <but> I haven't. <laughs> 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 Wikipedia. Terms, so I was just like, no, I've got to pull out of this one. So I'm not very good with numbers. Um, but I actually had a bit of a laugh at that. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I'm not sure who came up with it, but yeah, I think a little bit. Mm. So, um, Bertie, your, your, brother takes, your brother takes uh, photos for the Sydney Sixers and uh, also, of course, for, for Manly Cricket Club. Um, does he have any photos of me in the under-sixers for the Wacos Redbacks? Because I need to change my Facebook profile picture. <laughs> <laughs> I can ask him. I think my mum was a coach of one of those teams, so I think I'll probably ask Correct. him. He's probably got a few photos lying around, I reckon. So. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. 
Bertie, I'm, I actually remember coming across you as a as a 12 year old at the, the talented athlete program in Narrabeen. Um, I remember a bunch of us conspired to bowl a series of bounces at you in the nets because you were younger and better than us. I think. Anyway, is that where you got your fear of the short ball? <laughs> My fear of the short ball. <laughs> it's actually, my, I actually like it when they bowl short at me because usually if they bowl it at the stump, they'll get me out. So, and just um, and just a follow up to that, Birdie. Do you remember Dave? <laughs> um, I remember a few blokes gave me a hard time on that camp. Um, I can't remember. Who they were, yeah. That was a long time. I was just one of several people that bullied you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thanks, for that. Thanks for that. Drum. <laughs> uh, look at where we are now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, Bertie, I, um, I mean, right, look, this, Bertie, is, this is a this is an ordinary one. Um, look, everybody loves a lazy pun, um, but I just wanted to know how many times you've seen the headline "Birdie's the word" and whether you've just had enough, um, because I have. Yeah, I have definitely. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's not funny anymore. I don't think it was ever funny. So. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> They don't say it as much as I used to, though. So, um, I, yeah, my last name's pretty good um, for a headline in terms yeah. of a pun or whatever. So, yeah, I think yeah. yeah. Um, just a question about your teammates down in Tassie. Which one would you say is least likely to enjoy a weekend excursion to Mona, followed by a wine tasting at a boutique Hobart vineyard? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I reckon. James Faulkner wouldn't really like the museum. I don't think he'd have much idea of what's going on in there. Um, but he'd certainly enjoy drinking all the wine, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, winery first. Yeah. No, um, I think Sam Rainbird's not very cultured, so he'll, um, <laughs> I think he really enjoys the museum too much. <laughs> Sorry, Rain. Um, Bertie, just to continue on the theme of um, this whole interview, which is do you remember us, but um, we actually played against each other in a PG's game um, at, at Manly Oval. And um, you bowled the first ball to me and it just went through to the keeper and then you ran down the wicket and you, you looked me dead in the eyes and you said, just watch out for that crack halfway down the wicket. And I did. And the, the next ball was a half volley on middle and you bowled me. Um, why didn't you try that at the MCG? Oh, yeah. Um, was I hung over that day? I can't really remember much. <laughs> <laughs> um, hung over every time you met me, guys. Yeah. Um, really wasting your Sundays. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for being a good sport with that, Jacko. Uh, that was that was a real oh. hodgepodge of. Um, of uh, of questions, and I'm pretty sure the title of this show is going to be "Do you remember me?" Um, so, and and also thanks for <laughs> confirming that no, you do not remember any of us. Um, uh, sorry. No, no, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, please don't apologise. Trying, I'm trying. Um, so yeah, no, yeah, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. All the best for the rest of the summer. Well Very done good. on the Ashes uh, success, and uh, I'm 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 sure you guys will get them in uh, 2019 as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. Have a good one. Oh, look, I haven't changed my point of view on the matter. Um, you know, I said what I said a few years ago, and I guess at the moment he's obviously trying to sell a book, so uh, it's amazing how more and more of the story comes out. So are you two mates? I think that's a bit of a stretch to say that we're mates. <laughs> well, that's certainly what he's been saying. Yeah, look, I think, uh, as I said before, it's a bit of a stretch of the imagination, given that uh, we've hardly spoken about 
since it all happened and um, obviously I haven't played since you know he took over as captain. But anyway, uh, that's all old news now. So as I said, I think it's more about him trying to promote his book through the uh, summer. Terrific to have Jackson Bird on the podcast. Welcome back to the Grade Cricketer podcast. And uh, Higos has actually had to leave the episode for now, uh, but stick with us. Pez and myself are still with you. He's gone to record the Bill and Boz show on Fox Sports, um, representing us clearly a, a rig-based selection there. Um, oh, without a doubt. But he does have the best rig of us. Anyway, we're here for Ask TGC. Uh our favourite part of the podcast where we answer your questions. You can get us, as always, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, apparently, as well. Um, so this first one comes from <laughs> Joe Lundy, Pez. Um, yep. And he says, I don't normally ask important life questions of a fictional cricketer who tells jokes on the internet, but the Christmas mm. period has taken its toll and I have nowhere else to turn. My sunglasses are on the bottom of the Indian Ocean and I need to purchase some new ones before my county cricket fixtures resume. They no longer make my old Ray-Bans. I have a terrible eye for fashion. I'm not good enough to wear speed dealers. And I want to avoid the nickname Mum Sunnies for the rest of the season. (coughs) Better to get the new pair and risk derision or just suffer the searing pain of fielding in 40-degree heat and glare with bare eyes. Mm. Advice, please. (laughs) Um, Thanks for the question, Joe. Uh, I'm I'm impressed for starters because obviously we um, bang on a lot about the things in cricket that make us anxious. Uh, that's pretty much the yep. basis of this whole thing, how, how cricket manifests in um, casual anxiety uh, for men um, and, and make a comedy of that to cope with it. I've never heard of anxiety over the purchase of sunnies, though. I've never, honestly, I've, I've, I mean, this is one thing where I'm, I feel like I can alpha this and go, like, oh, I can't believe you're worried yeah. about sunnies. Um, and then the second question I've got is... Um, Second comment really is like, do people wear Ray Bans on the field nowadays? Like Ray Bans are obviously quite a fashionable thing. Like when yeah. I played, because it's, time's getting on now. When I played, like there was pretty yeah. much one strand of cricket sunglass fashion, and that was the Speed Dealers. Although they weren't yeah. known as Speed Dealers then, they were basically just the Mark War Dean Jones sunnies, yeah. weren't they? Thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I actually think I probably did wear some Ray-Bans at some point, but I was a, I was a bit of a rare unit, and, and you know that more better than anyone. Um, but I don't think... I mean, they, what's he said here? He said, they no longer make my old Ray-Bans. So he was wearing mm. Ray-Bans on the field. Mm. Um, he's not good enough to wear Speed Dealer sunglasses in his own eyes. Um, mm. So I think he just needs to get the new pair and risk derision. <laughs> I think he's, he's obviously committed to the Ray-Bans brand. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and he's not good enough to wear the Bole sunglasses that Mark mm. War popularised et al. Mm. So I think mm. he's just going to have to go fork out three hundred. I think it's about three hundred these days, or, or mm. would, what in pounds? What would that be? One, one, oh, one, one fifty, one sixty, one seventy. Yeah, yeah. So mm. mate, grab the new pair of, of Ray Bans, and and because mm. you can't risk, risk. yeah, just you can't risk, risk that. Yeah, you can't risk your eyes. I think you've got to risk derision. I think yeah. there's an element of playing cricket everywhere where you um. You risk derision. I mean, that's the name of our next book. Um, I mean, one thing I just noticed, why are his sunglasses on the bottom of the Indian Ocean? Was he on a boat or is he just like wading out and he's kind of lost them? Or and the yeah, Indian I presume Ocean. He's, he's either on the uh, like the east coast of the US or the west coast of Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's he's dropped them. Um, or, yeah, he's, he's, he might be Catch on an expedition, matches. a sailing expedition of some description. Kevin Purnell, can I take this one, Dave? I mean, this is a new format, yeah, isn't yeah, it? He goes isn't it. here. Yeah, well, um, this, yeah this, could, this, this could be a, a yeah. bit wild. Kevin Purnell writes, um, 
Dear TJC, tonight I was drinking in a bar in Bangkok, reading Tea and No Sympathy. I came to the section where the protagonist is batting naked, albeit with full kit, in the mirror. All of a sudden, uh, and this is inverted commas, the next imaginary ball shaped away and did me for bounce. I lost my shit. A well-meaning Frenchman with an attractive girlfriend seemed amused by this. As things panned out, I got drunk with a nice bloke from Cornwall with rat's tail dreads down to his ass, some very questionable tattoos, and a series of stories with very inconsistent timelines. My question is this. What is the best response to the two blokes who drive past the ground every Saturday, drop down a gear in their 2009 Japanese hatchback, and scream, How's that? Cheers, Kieran. <laughs> I wasn't expecting him to, you know, it, it started with such a, a, a global setting and he's taken it back to just a fucking grim suburban setting. Blokes that drive past the ground, dip the window down and scream, how's that? We've I, all I, faced I just wonder that, like, yes. whether any any of that preluding context was relevant to the question. I don't think and it was. the answer is but, yes, uh, because it was, it was the best part. Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, we're touched by it. Thank you for that, Kevin. Um, but what do you do? I mean, because, Pez, we've obviously heard this ad nauseum as cricketers. Mm. You're there, you're fielding, you're on the fine leg boundary or wherever you are, and blokes come past in their 1993 Subaru or 2009 Japanese hatchback, as he says, mm. and scream, how's that? The most lowbrow fucking thing that they can think of while they're on their yeah. way to the beach. Did you ever... What, what are you thinking in your mind when that happens? Uh, I'm thinking, uh, like, normally what happens is I turn around when you hear it and... You want to get an optic on them. You want to get an optic, want to see what they're doing. They're normally holding a Slurpee of some description. There's normally there's normally some bad servo sunnies from, from one or two yeah. of them. You can normally hear howls of laughter in the back of the car because yeah. it's normally sort of four blokes on the, the way to the beach. The boot isn't quite closed because there's a surfboard protruding from it with rope around the boot to keep the boot closed. <laughs> exactly. And you turn around um, wanting you know the, the wittiest, sharpest reply you can and you go yeah. to speak or yell something back, but your voice um, catches because you've got nothing to say. You've got a half arm raised going, ah, and, yeah. and, 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 and they're already then, halfway to Coogee. By then the car's gone and you, you get um, lost in the dread of existentialist thought yeah. about whether you should be at the beach um, or playing cricket. And then you and turn then, around to the cricket match and the ball's already been delivered and the, and the ball, <laughs> so the blokes hit the ball wide of square leg and now you, you're lost. Like you have to run to the ball and get it and you're fearful that you've um, yeah. shamed yourself in front of your teammates. Exactly. You hear the, and, and then you sort of hear this kind of... Because um, when you're running in cricket to get the ball, everyone's screaming instructions at you, but you can't hear anything because the wind's in your ears. But everyone no, still screams yeah, yeah. it anyway. But you can sort of faintly make out a captain going, oh, fuck's sake, or something. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go to pick up the ball, you fumble it. Uh, anyway, that's yeah, that, that's what I... <laughs> and then the ball drops just short of the keeper and fucking yeah. it glares from everywhere. <laughs> throws up. Fucking throws up. Keeper tries to take yourself. it on the half volley, and it just sort of ricochets off the yeah. off the hand, so that the person backing up has to get it. The keeper doesn't turn; he just looks at you, glaring. Yeah, uh, that, that's I think what we've happens. written about this before. Mm. Uh, this one's from Nathan Hartwell Pez. He says, "Fellas, firstly, love the show. Secondly, I have a question you could address on the show for me or here. <laughs> okay, uh, should a team lose a DRS review if the on-field umpire does not call a no ball on-field?" And the video umpire calls a no ball on the replay. It has just happened, of course, to the English and Mason Crane. Cheers, fellas. Uh, I think this is the wrong place. That question, like as I'm reading it's it, I'm like, very oh, no, cricket what are you related question. So- something's happening with DRS. It's not right. We're not happy yeah. with it. They want to introduce um, the, like they're about to introduce that a similar system to the Premier League here in uh, in the soccer. 
uh, in the UK. I think they've right. just started trialing it and you can hear, you know, the same conversations are taking place about what it does to the game. And like, like my advice would be like, just don't, don't let the genie out of the bottle. Don't start, mm. you know, the don't mistakes that umpires make are just part of the rich tapestry of anger that, you know, cricket produces. And we only play cricket really to express our anger that we feel in other areas of our life. So um, um, any question about the DRS will, will involve me answering. It shouldn't be around. Okay, we'll move on then. Next one. You want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Aiden Pawner, P-A-W-N-A, Pawner, writes in saying, uh, non-cricket related, lads, but I've just been champed by my mum after posting a weight loss program on Instagram. Wow. Post. <laughs> how do I carry on after this? <laughs> so many questions about how do I carry on. <laughs> yeah. um, do I put the weight back on just to get rid of the champ tag or cop it on the multiple uh. chins? Oh God, <laughs> mate! You've just got to pull your chin up or chins up and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and cop it from your mum. Well, I don't know how she champed. Has she champed him? I guess in an Instagram comment. Yeah, is, so he's, is he's posted on Instagram that. saying, uh, you know, New Year's resolution in 2017 was to lose 10 yeah. kilograms. I've done better and lost 13. There'll be a pre yeah. and post new photo. Year, new me. And then mum's written under it. Well done, champ. <laughs> <laughs> There could be some deep-seated stuff there as well. Like mum could have cooked him uh, a lot of yeah. really good food as he was growing up. Uh, you know, she might have had anxiety about his weight um, yeah, as a child she... and, and wanted to make sure that he was well-fed. <laughs> and uh, also she's yeah. felt champed by him with the weight loss program, so she's really just getting him back. Yeah, Aiden, I think your mum's just getting you back for you being ungrateful about what she gave you growing up. That, yeah, mind. which That'd was diabetes mind. by cooking too many, you know, delicious baked <laughs> goods. Uh, this one's from Thomas Harris-Pez. He says, G'day, roosters. Oh, As a 20-year-old grade cricketing battler, I used to spray Lynx Africa on my neck as a replacement for an expensive cologne. Looking back, did I have serious issues or was I more alpha than I originally thought? <laughs> Genuinely baffled. Never heard of Lynx sprayed on the neck. <laughs> I've heard of it sprayed on a lot of body parts, yeah. you know, including nether regions, but certainly never the neck as a cologne. Yeah. Obviously, just trying to get, you know, walk past a woman in a bar and just get that whiff of Africa. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, just it, the, well the image Aphrodisia. of spray-on deodorant applied as cologne to the neck is a very, um, yeah. I don't, it's a jarring one for me. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> picturing him spraying it and then walking through the spray. Yeah. I mean, Lynx Africa is traditionally quite like a short fat bottle, isn't it? It's not one of those like long, like slim Rexona I think they've re- type bottles, are they? Lynx has rebranded their product line. Uh, they've got some interesting ones like musk and ginger, like really weird shit going on now. But I just like Africa. Africa was certainly the most um, commercially successful of all the different fragrances in the product line. And I can say that with authority. Was this in, uh, high, this one's this by... in high school? So just, just, just high finally, because I, I always thought the worst Lynx was Lynx Java. Do you remember Lynx Java? Oh, fucking daddy. Um... Yeah, I do now, but I, but I don't remember the scent of it. Oh, it Obviously, just... like Java, like the, <laughs> the place. What, India, Indonesia? Just jungular. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, it was the smell of year nine um, corridors. High school corridors. Yeah, high school Next. corridors, yeah. I don't know exactly what that is. Uh, Pete Wilson. Um, boys, saw England fielding coach Paul Collingwood MBE at the SCG. Chest, pipes, salad, all top notch. A far cry from when he played. Any intel? <laughs> He's asking for intel. <laughs> On the salad regime, I presume. Yeah, I've not inquired. 
Oh, well, I, I did see him, and I agree that everything is in. It's looking pretty good. It's all together, like the chest, mm. the pipes, and the salad. They're yeah. all in perfect yeah. harmony. I yes. mean, and I, I don't know if that is a far cry from when he played because I assume he was one of the more professional players. But I'm just trying to cast my mind back to his salad. He's he's definitely um, got a better rig now than in his playing days. I think in his playing days, he was a little bit more wiry, like a, like a good player. And you know, don't get me wrong, but he's certainly put more effort into the rig, into kind of beefing up right. the rig, but also it is quite taut. And there's, I think there was a number of shots of him, in fact, an alarming number of shots of him all series, generally on the balcony of the English cricket dressing room um, in a singlet. So he, he was he was rocking yeah. the training singlet um, like with, with great pride. I think that's what I did a lot when I finished playing cricket because you wear restrictive long white clothing for so long. You just embrace not having to wear cricket clothing, mm. <laughs> like full body clothing on a hot day. So he's probably just relishing being in Australia and, and wearing a singlet on a 40 degree day, if nothing else. Yeah. So but no great intel, types. Really. Mm. But no, we don't have any intel. Um, okay. Yeah. The, oh, okay. Paddy nine at Paddy 93 has asked the question that everybody's been asking or maybe been afraid to ask. Um, he says, uh, is forcing a man who's bordering 90 to scull a beer fucking yuck or am I just not fun anymore? Uh, hashtag ask TGC. <laughs> so he's referring to mm. the annual Bob Hawke sculling at the SCG uh, phenomenon, which, which yep. took place. Um, and it was particularly – Bob Hawke, age 88, um, he, um, he, he hovered over that beer for, for quite a while to the point where they had to return to play um, and then back to him to yeah. finish – the skull. I mean, you were at the ground, Dave. Yeah, you had the first-hand mm. view. Um, your thoughts? Oh well, uh, look. I think I'm in the camp of of saying it's fucking yuck. I mean, I think it the first time it was spontaneous and fun, and there was a joie de vie to that. Mm. You know, it was a, it was a, a an endearing reminder of the larrikin prime minister that was Paul Keating still in our hearts, um, even to this day. But Bob he Hawk. is bordering ninety, uh, Bob Hawke. Um, and what, what did I say? Keating. Oh, Keating, yeah. yeah Keating. <laughs> I'd, I'd, like, I'd actually like to see Keating scull a beer. Yeah, but I don't actually. Yeah. Be much or scull a bottle of. Scull a bottle of Cab Sav. Grange. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I don't think it's. I don't think it's you, Paddy. I think it is a bit of a. Um, well, I think it's peer pressure. And I, I think a guy who's captain his country, I was about to say, who's prime ministered his country, led his country um, for multiple years. I don't know why he obliged, he's obliged to do this. He, I'd actually like to see him turn down the opportunity next time. And I did actually see him walking uh, into the elevators because um, he, he was around the press section. Yeah. And he was, he was on a frame and he, he's actually looking very fragile, mm. um, as he would at that age. So I don't think we should be pressuring him to smashing schooners from now mm. on. I'd like to I'm see kinda, that I'm kind of torn on it, Edos, because on the one hand, I think if the man wants to do it, He's 88 if he wants to. If, I mean, if he's at home does he? saying, you know, look, uh, I, I, I want to do, do this. This is, this is my thing. This is my jam. Um, then, then yeah. you know, by all means, let him do it. But there's also an element of, like, as you said, it was a very kind of spontaneous thing at the start when it first started happening. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm reminded of the Travelling Wilburys line, you know, overexposed, commercialised. Like, is now becoming... Mm. You're um, always reminded by that. I'm always calling on Travelling Wilbury's lines when I'm thinking about Bob Hawke, mm. but like it's, it's sort of becoming a little bit, um, I'm kind of a bit jaded by it, you know, it's just becoming a bit mm. naff that it keeps happening and um, it very much harks back to the idea of just, you know, Australians as drinkers. Um, Bob Hawke, yeah. you know, should be known for more than that. 
Well, we've seen we've seen Turnbull drink schooners as well. Like you have mm. to drink schooners, um, mm, and not just when you're in power, but also for many years after leaving power. So, I guess it's just part of the Australian political landscape, and, and mm. something that um, all future leaders will have to get used to. Mm. Is that it? I think that's it. It's been a long show. Thank you for sticking with it. Um, yeah, it's been Jackson Bird, Ryan Curtis. If you're still with us, you can still get our book uh, if you want. If yeah. somehow you missed out on the the uh, the great Christmas rush, um, you know Steve Smith has won the numbers this year, but we think we can sell more than him. So um, yeah, uh, you know, take that, Smithy. Take that. Come on the show, since Bradman. Come, come come on the show though, please. Bye. Please. <laughs>